You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Air Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are here to talk all about, get this, the 50th anniversary of Monty Python's Flying Circus. That's right. We are here to celebrate all good things that come to people who wait for something different. And so it was amazing. It influenced so many people and was to a lot of us like nothing else we've ever seen on TV or in the movies or on DVD or however you got it the first time, but it is available. And speaking of something completely different, let me welcome my co-host, my compatriot, the man who knows the whole words to the lumberjack song, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. So you're going to start singing it for us? <laughs> you know, it sounds sounds weird for me to say howdy on a show about Monty Python, because it seems like I should say something, you know, clever. Uh, but uh, no, I just have to be me. So, Well, if you can't be yourself, what can you be? Well, and, you know, Monty Python taught me to, uh, to you know, to just be you. Exactly. Uh, unless you could be John Cleese, then be John Cleese. Well, at least you're not, you know, climbing through the woods of the Pacific Northwest and, you know, singing around and you know, with your fine woman on your arm. Well, it seems like you want to take a crack at singing it, so... No. So, I the don't... floor is yours, sir. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesdays I go shopping and have butter scones for tea. He cuts down trees, eats his lunch, he goes to the lavatory. Floor is always mine. I'm the guy who edits this. So that's true. That is true. But we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home because we got a great victim for the geek seat this week. And, you know, it's going to be a fun show. We got a lot to talk about, but we definitely want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. A few folks asked us, you know, whatever happened to our call in number. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. (laughs) Nobody called it. So why have a call in number? So, you know, it was just, it was there, you know, open to everybody. And it also went directly through Skype and we're not really using Skype anymore. So we'll figure another way for you guys to get in touch with us, you know, but if you definitely want to, you know, write us, you could do, definitely do that through the email address we just gave. You could also send us audio messages. We'd love to play them up here on the air because, you know, we both Mike and I, you know, love talking and hearing from you folks. So it's pretty darn awesome. So, you know, before we get out of here, though, and get started with the show, let's also give a huge shout out to our patrons. Thank you. Thank you for everyone who's been donating to us. And, you know, folks, we thank everybody, but we definitely could use more people. You know, we could definitely, you know, use more people supporting ESO. You know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors that go to patreon.com slash ESO network for as little as 25 cents a week. You can help support the station. And 
you know, we're not trying to beg or anything, but you get really cool stuff also. We've actually just sent out to all our patrons the ESO Network window sticker. So you could get a window sticker for your car and, you know, you'll be able to say, hey, I got, you know, to be able to support ESO Network just by being a patron. I think that's pretty spiffy. So, like I said, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. And you know what? We thank you for everybody who does it or for those who consider. We just love you guys. So it's pretty darn awesome. But speaking of love, we got some great stuff to talk about this week on ESO. For this week's Rants and Raves, wrestling is basically getting ready to take over the world of both network TV and cable. It's pretty darn awesome. Not only do you have uh, SmackDown from the WWE moving to Fridays, you also have now, for Wednesday nights, you have the all-brand-new Wednesday Night Wars. That's right, folks. You have NXT coming from the WWE Network, coming to the USA Network, and not only just an hour, but two hours, but you have All Elite Wrestling coming to TNT at the same time. And that's run by Cody Rhodes, who is used to be in the WWE. It's pretty amazing. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm overstating this when I say that this could be one of the biggest weeks for uh, pro wrestling in maybe of all time. Uh, between, you, you know, with Raw starting on Monday, uh, last night, or yeah, as we're recording this, uh, that, you know, there's the quote unquote season premiere and, um, the new promotion, AEW starting on Wednesday, uh, and, uh the WWE kind of counter programming that with moving NXT to USA on Wednesday. Uh, and then SmackDown, SmackDown is moving to Friday on Fox. Mm-hmm. That's, that's huge. Um, you know, um, maybe maybe old school wrestler fan, wrestling fans can remember when main event was on NBC, but and occasionally you'd see wrestling and wrestlers here and there on, you know, Saturday Night Live or doing spots on major networks. But this is the first time that I can recall where a major uh, network is showing a wrestling program and is is devoted to showing that wrestling program. Uh, for at least a season, probably more. I mean, Fox spent a lot of money with the WWE. So we've already seen that AEW, is, having a competitor, is already good for wrestling. Um, because if AEW, if, if Cody, Young Bucks, and Jericho don't, don't, have, uh, don't make All In a couple years ago, and, and that sells out immediately when it goes up on, in Chicago, if they don't do that, then then the investors don't know that wrestling is a is a big thing, and then Fox doesn't spend billions of dollars on w, with the WWE, and then since Fox spends spends billions of dollars with the WWE, other companies and other networks all of a sudden look at wrestling and go, oh we need we need a piece of that we need a wrestling show here comes AEW with TNT, and so they're already going back and forth and they're already benefiting. Uh, wrestlers now are benefiting because now they have, you know, at least these two choices as well as other, other smaller promotions too, that are still around, by the way, impact moved to Tuesday. 
So, um, and then there's other ROH and there's still NWA out there too for national um, wrestling shows. So it's going to be huge Friday. They're bringing out all the stops. You know, the WWE is serious about making SmackDown on Friday, the biggest thing ever. Uh, so uh, the rock is going to be there. Hulk Hogan's going to be there. Brock Lesnar is going to be there. Uh, Brock Lesnar, of course, is, is actually has a match, a championship match. Uh, they, and there's going to be a lot of surprises. So, uh, oh, they've, they've already announced too. There's going to be a women's tag team match between, uh, the four horsewomen, right? Uh, Becky and Charlotte versus, uh, Sasha and Bailey. So you've got the best of the best performing, uh, that night. And it's going to, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, watching Raw last uh, last night, I can tell you they've changed their look. They've changed things. Uh, the, they've changed announcing teams. Uh, they, they, you can definitely see the influence that Paul Heyman is having behind the scenes. Um, this is a really exciting time to be into wrestling. Um, and the things that happen this week are going to have ripple effects throughout the rest of the year. And probably throughout the rest of this business, it's going to be incredible. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's really going to be interesting. Now, Mike, I know that you're a WWE guy for the most part, right? Mm, I also back in the day watched WCW, and sure. and I've also you know I've caught Impact, and I've also caught you know stuff like that TNT or TNA, sorry, right, and a couple right. others. So so AEW starts tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Are you are you tuning in? Most likely, yeah, just to see what the first episode's going to be like. Gotcha. And everything, because I've seen video of their pay-per-views and stuff, and they put on a great show. And I, in some ways, I feel like it's a lot more younger and a lot more fresh than WWE has been lately. Yeah, I mean, as far as the main program, to me, the best wrestling program week in and week out and year-round is, is NXT. Um, I don't see that changing with AEW, but we'll see. I've never seen AEW. A lot of the guys that are wrestling there, I've never seen. Um, now AEW does have, does feature one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Chris Jericho. Oh, sure. So it'd be kind of cool to see him back in action. Um, Cody of course is there. Uh, in fact, I do believe that the main event of of the night is Chris Jericho with two mystery tag team partners is going to face Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. I've never seen Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks uh, wrestle. And I know that Kenny Omega is one of the best wrestlers out there. Oh yeah. And he also has always said he will never go to the WWE. I mean, last year he, uh, he was voted by, um, by pro wrestling insider as the number one wrestler uh in the world um and for someone to do that outside of of wwe is significant uh it's the first time it's been i think maybe the second or third time it's been uh, you know in 20 30 years it's been you know uh so it's it is amazing i i'm keen to see these guys perform uh um and to see what what is different about it they they promise not to be they don't want to be the WWE. So it's not like you're going to watch it and go, oh, this just feels like a, you know, not cool version of the WWE. They they are 
planning on bringing us something different. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. Well, that's what they also said for impact. And that's what they also said for TNA. And, you know, so I'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to do. And, but, you know, I'm going to remain open-minded, so it should be cool to see what happens. And, you know, I'm, I'm open for a bit of competition because truthfully, the WWE has gotten very stale. And, you know, I want to see, you know, with competition brings, you know, better wrestling, better writing. And WWE has been, you know, preparing for this, like you said. You know, mm-hmm. they have uh, Paul Heyman on Raw and they have Eric Bischoff uh, writing and directing for SmackDown. Yep. Which is pretty amazing. And of course, uh, Triple H is still doing NXT and he's been doing fa- fa- fabulous for that for years. And I just wish, you know, when the folks come up from NXT, because NXT is the development brand for WWE, I, I wish they would treat the wrestlers who come up with respect because a lot of times I feel like they just get thrown out. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, look, I'm not saying the WWE or anything is perfect right now. Um, I mean, the WWE still is the show though. I mean, it's got my favorite wrestlers on it. Um, you know, it's got it, the, the, the talent is amazing. Sometimes the booking is not good, but the talent is great. I mean, I, I wouldn't watch it if I didn't, you know, uh, my personal favorite wrestler to watch right now is, is Becky Lynch. And, oh, and not for not just for the reasons you think. No, you've <laughs> you've liked Becky Lynch since she first came to the WWE for many. I have, yeah, and and not just because I mean, yes, she's good looking, but no, you, that, you've liked her as a wrestler. That woman has talent, and she's great. And uh, even I'm surprised at how over she's gotten. She's huge, like she's in she's in advertising. She's on in ESPN commercials she's on like it's just, uh, on on magazine covers she's just everywhere and it's like who would have thought you know i mean like as big as charlotte and sasha were like a few years ago that didn't happen with them she has tapped into something that is really um really cool so let's let's hope that continues uh she's got a match hell in a cell against sasha on sunday so let's not forget hell in the cells coming um, and you know, Seth Rollins, one of my other favorite wrestlers is, uh, defending his title against, I think one of the most amazingly original, uh, creatures, characters that has come out of the WWE in a long time, meaning the fiend of Bray Wyatt. Uh, that is, is so unique. So I can't wait to see what hits, what that's like. He's like in his first actual match. Yeah. I, kind of worry about that because i don't want it to be a one-and-done character because it's too good of a character for them to do that to yeah yeah i think yeah it should be really interesting to see how do you keep that going right how do you you can't squash it but are you going to give them the title and if not like what are you going to do so yeah there's a lot of questions here a lot of questions um you know brock lesnar is going to be facing kofi kingston on friday a lot of questions on that. Uh, although Monday helped us answer maybe some of those questions. <laughs> so, so um, I think it's a great time. Like, I think it's a great time to be, if, if you've tuned out of wrestling or you think that, you know, wrestling is not for you, 
Uh, I definitely think that you should try, you know, I encourage people to try something this week. Uh, you know, um, try SmackDown. I think, I think uh, WWE is going to do everything they can to make that appeal to people who are not familiar with wrestling. Uh, I do know that Friday, last Friday, uh, they on Fox, they had a show called SmackDown's Greatest Moments. And in it, they went out of their way to kind of, a, a, they approached it like people didn't know what, who wrestlers were. Right. And what, and what things were. So they were kind of going out of their way to explain things for quote unquote newbies, what things were happening. Um, likewise, uh, if you, if you don't like the WWE product, you got, you feel like got stale, you just don't care anymore. Then, uh, A and AEW is certainly something that you should check out because they're trying to rewrite the book. And I also think that if you really are in for some interesting uh, stuff, then check out NXT because this is the first, this week is the first time they're, they're uh, going for two hours and the talent that is on that show and the way that they tell stories and the, what they do in the ring is just like better than anybody else. Nope. Agreed. 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 And that's part of the fun with it is with competition, you're going to see more exciting matches and more surprises and more people popping out of the woodwork. It's going to be awesome. And, you know, I hope both companies are up for it. I don't want it to just be a flash in the pan. The last time that wrestling was this interesting was when we had WWE versus WCW and ECW was there. And I can't help but think that, you know, it's not everything is the same, but with WWE, AEW, and NXT, you've got a similar kind of one, two, three stop that that is going to make wrestling as interesting, if not more so than it was like 20 years ago. No, I agree. And so, you know, for the wrestling fan, this is a really good time to be alive, as I like to say. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> you know, they can, they can, I'm, I'm tuned in to find out, right? Well, exactly. You know, and, you know, maybe next week we'll give a mini review or something if we have a couple minutes. So it should be fun. Definitely will be fun. So I think, you know, let's hear us go into wrestling, but we've got other things to talk about. So let's, Definitely take a break and we will be back. And we have Felicity from the Flopcast in the Geek Seat. Ha ha! This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. We have one of the most buzzed about movies this year so far coming out in theaters this weekend, which is The Joker, a much darker adaptation of the famous DC Comics villain. Now, even though I'm not planning to go see this one this weekend, I am really curious to hear what others think about it. I'll be traveling this weekend and won't get a chance to see it. And also, it looked like it might be just a little too intense for me and heavy in terms of its subject matter. But like I said, I am really curious to hear what other geeks think about this movie. I've heard some really glowing reviews, and I've heard some negative reviews as well. So it could be one that polarizes audiences, but definitely a unique 
twist for DC Comics to take with their movies, especially since recent ones like Aquaman and Shazam were so lighthearted and fun. I think that there's room for both kinds of superhero movies. I like seeing some ones that are just kind of like fun and light and you go to the theater to have a good time. But I also like some ones that are willing to delve into some deeper things and go darker places. So if Joker is a big hit, we could be seeing more movies along that line. Another movie coming out in theaters this weekend, which I am disappointed to see is getting bad reviews, is Lucy in the Sky. The trailer looked super interesting, and it's starring Natalie Portman in another trippy-looking sci-fi drama about a woman who achieves her dream of becoming an astronaut, but then has trouble to adjusting to life back on Earth. It sounded like a really great concept, and I really loved Natalie Portman in Annihilation, another recent movie that kind of had a mysterious kind of uneasy sci-fi theme but it looks like maybe something was lost in translation here and the movie is not receiving very good responses from critics so maybe i'll check it out later on down the line but probably not one i will rush out to theaters to see and on DVD this week, we have the summer hit Spider-Man Far From Home. And it looks like Spider-Man fans also have good news. And it sounds like Sony and Disney have renewed their partnership to keep producing Spider-Man movies. At least that's what I think that we finally settled on. There's been a lot of back and forth, so it's hard to know what's really going on. But I think that Sony and Marvel's partnership has worked out really well so far. It's great to see Spider-Man in the MCU. And I loved how Far From Home address Tony Stark's legacy but going forward I would like to see Spider-Man kind of continue to do his own thing fight his own villain to be cool if he popped up in the MCU every once in a while but I'd also like to see these movies maybe venture into some new places as well and that's it for this week if you're looking for more entertainment related content be sure to check out my blog boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com this week I'm writing about my first trip to a comic book store to buy a comic Hey, Adam Thomas. Yes, Thomas Mariani. You know how there are podcasts about bad movies? Yeah. And also podcasts about good movies? Yeah. Well, what if a podcast could cover both? What? Listen to Double Edge Double Bill, where a random selected yin and yang of a double feature is picked and then picked apart. Now, who came up with this wacky idea? Adam, we did. That's our show. I'm learning something new every day. Listen to us on the ESO Network and wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now we're here with an old friend. Welcome the mayor of Chickentown herself, Felicity. Hey! Hey, good to be back on the station. Yeah, well, it's always good to have you on the station, and even more so this time because we finally have strapped you down to the geek seat. Yeah, I finally uh, finally couldn't avoid it any longer. You nope. realized that I had uh, I'd slipped through the cracks the geek seat always is calling it's well, always you know, calling we did put that rare 1959 barbie in the you know in the chair yeah you know how to you know how to lure me <laughs> well very cool for those people who may not be familiar with you tell us a little bit about uh yourself well i am a longtime geek uh primarily my primary fandom is doctor who but I like uh, reading fantasy and Star Wars and just basically all sorts of genre TV and movies. 
and uh, I am part of the Flopcast on the ESO network, uh, where I am known as the Mayor of Chickentown, and I guest occasionally, but mainly do the social media and website for Kevin and Cornflake, who are the regular hosts. Awesome. Well, we we love everybody there at the Flopcast, so... Um, and, uh, yeah, your contributions don't go unnoticed, believe me, <laughs> especially yep. since, uh, I'm the one who's responsible for doing a lot of the, uh, promotions for the network. Uh, it always helps when the, uh, podcast does some pretty good promotions and social media as well. So, yes, I enjoy doing that. And we, uh, try to keep it pretty silly around here in chicken town. So, um, so let's hear, so, and you know, you, you know, um, how were you, you said your primary is Dr. Who. When did that start for you? I actually started watching Doctor Who uh, on PBS around 1984, I would say. Um, so I was in my early teens and just happened to get a recommendation from a, a fellow geek that it was something that I might like to check out. And it was showing on, Mike, you'll be aware of this, it was showing on a WGBH in Boston on weeknights at 7 o'clock. So I think I... Turned tuned in the next day and was hooked pretty soon. Got my dad and my brother into the show as well, and uh, we settled in for the most of the Tom Baker years, <laughs> and uh, went from there. And eventually saw all of the existing episodes between the two PBS stations we had access to, the the Boston and the New Hampshire ones. I don't, yeah, I don't remember it watching it on the New Hampshire one as well. I don't even remember accessing that, which is weird because where I grew up was we were on the New Hampshire border. So I'm not sure exactly what was going on there, but, um, and you know, my memory's kind of spotty as far as, uh, you know, trying to remember that far back, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, I do remember it being on weeknights. I do remember it being on seven because that was, that was a, a time period where, I mean, if you didn't have a VCR or whatever, you wouldn't catch it all the time. So there was a lot of times where they would end on a cliffhanger. And then the next day I, I just wouldn't be able to see it. So, yeah, I think I was, I was at an age where, you know, I was, I was home in the evening, you know, probably supposed to be doing homework, but I would always make time for uh, <laughs> watching Dr. Who at seven. Absolutely. And your first doctor was Tom. It was actually to be, Technically, it was Peter Davison because the first episode I saw happened to be The Five Doctors. Oh, wow. And so okay. I got a pretty good introduction. And then it I think that was the newest episode that WGBH had at the time because then they reset to robot and, and uh, started from Tom, which was, the, was what PBS stations had the most access to in those days, certainly. So there was a lot of rerunning of the Tom Baker stories before they got access to some of the earlier stuff. And, and so, yeah, so that started there now during when, when there was no Doctor Who mm -hmm. and before we got new Who, were you still like holding the torch with Big Finish or did you take a break a little bit as well? I was still holding the torch. I didn't actually really get into Big Finish, but I was into the novels. Okay. And that coincided with kind of my first foray onto the internet. So I met people through Usenet, you know, the old days of the internet and IRC and eventually formed like a, a fan mailing list with a bunch of people who are some of whom are, are good friends of mine to this day. So that really kind of forged a connection there, even though the show was off the air. Um, I started going to Gallifrey one in 2001. So that was a few years before the show came back and uh, we were still hanging on there. 
not not we weren't sure how long it was going to last at the time, but we were still uh, <laughs> still fans, still having hanging out, and having fun together, even though we weren't uh, weren't sure what the future would hold. And then before too long, it came back, and and things just kept getting bigger and bigger. It is such a great community, really, a fandom. Um, from I've never I haven't been to Gallifrey. I've heard good things about it, and it's obviously one of the largest ones, but certainly all the conventions that we've been to on the Southeast, as well as I've been to Chicago TARDIS and uh, just, you know, the Doctor Who fans, I think, um, have been through a lot. So they sort of have a special bond, right? I think so. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And uh, yeah, there's, like you said, there's big finish. There's a lot of different branches of fandom and you can kind of, uh, experience as much or as little as you want you can just stick to the tv show but there's really a lot of a lot of stuff comics too there's a lot of ways to satisfy that itch uh in years like this one when the show isn't uh when they're not currently producing a season so we we wait when we have to but uh we always like to get together and uh talk about whatever form of doctor who we're currently enjoying now mike kind of mentioned it uh at the start here but uh, I also understand that because you've been to some conventions regarding your uh, the, the sort of the Barbie phenomenon, right? That's right. I've been a Barbie collector uh, since adulthood. Actually, it was. It's. I'm not quite sure why I started collecting Barbie, um, but it was just something back in the days when Toys R Us had a big display case and they had kind of some of the fancier dolls there. I think that's what caught my eye. And when I, you know, as an adult, when I had some uh, disposable income. I started collecting kind of some of the fairy tale and fantasy dolls at first, and then really kind of branched out into the designer dolls and pop culture dolls. Of course, now there's, you know, there's a Doctor Who Barbie, so my <laughs> life is complete. <laughs> it, they finally merged, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, uh, yeah I go, so I do go to, uh, every year there's a Barbie convention and it's in a different city, depending on uh, kind of who's putting it on. It's not official, an official Mattel event, but Mattel has a presence there. But it's really put on by by volunteers, uh, by the steering committee, which is made up of members of a bunch of different Barbie clubs or by an individual club. So what I've found kind of by being a part of two kind of fandom, two big fandoms that are one would think are very different. But I find that fans are kind of the same all over. Um, if you're passionate about something, you know, and form a community about it around it um, you can really just kind of strike up a conversation with anyone that's you know one of the great things about it and then all fan communities kind of have some of the same bad qualities as well you know resistance to change and entitlement and stuff like that so right. i see see both the, the good and bad in in kind of very what you would think would be very distinct uh types of fandom that you wouldn't think you would have anything in common but i see the same same good and bad in all of us <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think I think that's a fair point. I mean, that's one of the reasons why when we do the Geek Cheek segment, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people come on and they're like, well, I'm not really geeky, but it's like, but to us, it means whatever you're passionate about, right? So, exactly. And, and, and we find similarities, you know, between people who love comics, with people who love, you know, sports teams, with people who love music, with people mm-hmm. who love, like, there's, you know, as long as you're passionate about something, I think you can find, and you know, you want to share that passion with other people. You'll find a lot of common uh, denominators with a lot of like that fandom, right? Within, yeah, fandom. 
a podcast that I really enjoy is called Obsessed um, from the comedian Joseph Scrimshaw, who's he's got kind of a base in Minneapolis uh, in the Convergence community, but he's based in L.A. now. And he actually comes to Gallifrey as well. He's a Doctor Who fan. But his podcast, he just talks to someone about what they're obsessed about. And it could be, you know, something like, you know, it could be role playing games. It could be Star Wars, but it could be something like one, one that I listened to recently that I really enjoyed was a guy who was obsessed with accordions. And it's like, that's not something I would ever have thought I would be interested in hearing someone talk about, but just the, the enthusiasm is really infectious. And, and Joseph is a good interview and really good at kind of bringing out what people are passionate about in their particular obsession. So it's a, it's a really fun listen. Did that gentleman's last name happen to be Yankovic or something like that? <laughs> it was not. Um, I'm sure that there was a connection there, certainly with the, the love of accordions. My dad actually played accordion. Uh, when I was younger, he used to, to bring that out sometimes and play. Wow. Okay. So, Mike, she is, I believe, uh, warmed up. And, and ready to go, especially <laughs> oh, since you we're talking. Me. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, that's that's my job. Uh, sort of uh, while the uh, while the ropes are being tightened, uh, you know, ropes, so, bungee cord, you know, <laughs> duct tape, you know, we just have to make sure everyone's you know nice and secure. Yeah, yep. Exactly. All right, I think I'm uh, as comfortable as I'm going to get. <laughs> well, Felicity, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you thought it was uncomfortable on some of the episodes of the podcast you've been on in the past. Oh, wait till mm. now. Oh, Uh-oh. you're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, your first I'm, question, Exit. What was your favorite geek out moment? It actually happened at Dragon Con several years ago. Uh, it, it was a a late night concert by a band that's actually local to Boston, and it's one that we talk about incessantly on the Flopcast. They're called Freeze Pop, and they're a beloved synth-pop band that's had a lot of music in uh, some video games, like the the rock band, I think, uh, franchise. But they were doing a concert on the uh, the main stage at the, in the Atrium Ballroom at Dragon Con, and it was just, it was really fun. They're a great live band, but for an encore, they said, they started talking about what really happened in Jabba's palace. And I was confused, not sure what they were talking about, but then they launched into Lopty Neck, which is the song that was sung in um, the original release of Return of the Jedi, which they replaced with the, uh, you know, CGI, Psy Snoodles and some other, some other songs. So it was great to hear that original song and to, to have the band really geek out about it as, as much as the audience did. Oh, I'm sure you're like, <gasps> Probably a huge <laughs> audible guest throughout the audience. Yes, and there were some, probably plenty of people in the room who were too young to remember the original release and didn't know what was going on. But they they were dancing, they were having fun too. What was your most disappointing geek out moment, though? Also, kind of on a Star Wars uh, Star Wars theme, I think just the whole the whole release of Phantom Menace. Uh, you know, I had seen. I was a little too young to see the original Star Wars, A New Hope in the theater, but I saw it on its re-release and saw Empire Strikes Back like half a dozen times and Return of the Jedi too. So I was, you know, really waiting for this new trilogy and and excited and just to have that excitement kind of deflate pretty soon (laughs) Uh, after a a disappointing uh, movie and what turned out to be a disappointing trilogy. 
could be our number one answer, actually. I think I think it's very close. And a certain a certain character comes a quick number two on that one from that yeah. uh, from that movie. All right, let's look at the next one then. What geeks you out the most? I love as a Doctor Who fan, I just kind of love how not mainstream, but kind of Doctor Who has has risen out of a niche fandom. Uh, I just love seeing. Doctor Who things out in the wild, like someone wearing a TARDIS t-shirt or something like that. Uh, you know, something that I've loved for a long time is, is finally getting recognized and, uh, you know, people might not, you know, they're not going to be as uh, obsessive about it as I am. They may not have seen even the classic series, but just, you know, knowing that it's something that, that people love and that people want to, uh, to advertise their love of uh, makes me happy every time I see it. Oh, that is awesome. That is really awesome. Here's the weird question, though. <laughs> what turns your geek off? Uh, I touched on this earlier when I talked about what's, you know, what's bad in fan communities. And I think any type of entitlement really disappoints me and kind of makes me embarrassed to be a fan. You know, I've, I've had big disappointments when TV series didn't end the way I wanted them to. I watched Lost and Battlestar Galactica and, you know, <laughs> I've been in that position where I know when it's, you know, something that you really loved just kind of disappoints you in the end, but to turn that into, you know, bashing the creators and feeling like they owe you the ending that you wanted is just, it's just silly. But you duties, that's not what I wanted. Right. I, I understand the feeling of disappointment, but anytime that kind of turns on, turns into anger at the creators, you know, they're people doing their best. And even if what they create, what they ultimately created isn't what you wanted, you know, there's always the next thing. Yeah. Not, not worth a death threat. Exactly. Uh, oh, absolutely. People take it not way too worth, seriously. Yeah. Not worth petitions, not even worth, you know, <laughs> bitching on social media about it's just, you move on. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? I, I hate to be uh cliche but the the doctor <laughs> well which one that's i don't know i think i mean probably matt smith's doctor uh just because he's seems to be having fun kind of cool and goofy and alien that's kind of what i'm looking for in in, in the doctor you know a, a kind of a quirky character uh who would uh i could have some fun adventures with but really any, any doctor would do. That is awesome. That is awesome. What fictional character would you not like to meet? I think it would have to be Voldemort because he could kill you with two words and uh, there's really nothing you could do about it. You know, he's going to, he's going to Avada Kedavra first and ask questions later. Um, he's just, you know, a nasty character and uh, would not want to run into that snake face. Totally understand that. The, the lack of nose. doesn't come up more often, actually. Yeah. <laughs> true. Very true. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Um, I gave it some thought. I think I'd have to, to go with Yoda. Uh, do or do not. There is no try. In terms of a kind of an inspirational quote that really kind of gets gets down to the root of things, you know. You do or you do not. Mm. You know, when you when you feel like you can't do something, just you know, don't try, just do it. 
Mm, agreed. Mm, yes. Mm, yes. yes. Mm. Mm. I agree, I do. I do. We're going to talk like this for the rest of the episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> what is your ideal geek occupation? I think if someone would pay me just to write TV recaps, not even reviews, because I don't feel like I really have the creativity to be a reviewer, but just to write recaps. Reca- you know, watch TV with a with an eye to detail and, and you know, write a good summary of everything that happened. And, uh, and to do that for a living, I think, would be pretty cool. <laughs> that is awesome. Because would- I love to watch TV. And I, and I, and I do, you know, I, I, the more kind of the more complicated, the more uh, the richer, the deeper, the better. As you, you know from our recent discussion about Russian doll. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> that was so Something much that fun. you can really, really sink your teeth into. Oh, but that the the panel we did just blew my mind because I didn't even think about the things these people were talking I about. I know, I know. I was kicking I myself with, like, no! I came out with three three times more ideas than I went in with, and that's definitely next on my uh, on my list of things to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Right, Mike, I think we need this young lady for our fall TV preview next year. Ah, that's a good idea. Yes, since she's a huge TV watcher. <laughs> but, well, a selective TV watcher, I would say. But. <laughs> oh, now she's backing out. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know there's no escaping the geek seat. So yeah. Yeah, she'll, still okay. be in, she'll still be strapped to the chair. So. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I might not have a choice. <laughs> exactly. I just can't promise that I'm well-read on everything that's coming up. What geek occupation would you not like to do? I think that anything where I like had to go to cons to like promote myself or p- to promote something. And it was an obligation rather than something fun. I, yeah, would, that I sucks. wouldn't want to do it's that. Horrible. Yeah. Something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're just, you know, having to go to Comic-Con, having to be on all the time, having to really sell something I think would, would not really suit my personality. Totally understand that completely. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> All the time. Okay. <laughs> you ready for your final question, Felicity? Yes. All right, Felicity. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Careful, this is for all the marbles. Oh, all the marbles. Gosh. I've often just like kind of pictured myself having a TARDIS that I could carry around like a briefcase. And then just anytime I wanted to travel somewhere, I would just kind of lay, lay it down, open it up, step in and close it after me. And then I could instantly be anywhere in the world uh, visit. You know, I've got friends all over the, the country, all over the world who I'd like to be able to visit um, and see more often, not just once a year at cons. So being able to travel instantly with the TARDIS or some other type of uh, conveyance, but I think the TARDIS would suit me best because I could, you know, bigger on the inside. So there you go. <laughs> Think of all the I mean, geeky- room to stretch out and uh, but something something small enough that I could carry it with me. Think of all the geeky stuff you could put into a TARDIS. Would that be helpful? absolutely? I mean, you know, I I, I kind of need a lot of space for uh, my collections. So, <laughs> and then Kevin with his chicken collection. Come on, <laughs> yeah. a lot of chicken decor too. Oh yes. yeah, of course you, you got to have that. We would have a chicken room. It would have a chicken room in the TARDIS. Oh, there you go. Definitely <laughs> in a big chicken room. Exactly, and you know, 
Kevin would be like, I'll just stay in here, watch Meatballs <laughs> 4 again. It's okay. And listen to really bad 80s music. <laughs> <laughs> bad. <Hey. laughs> well, Felicity, we got great news for you. You have made oh. it through the Geek Seek. Congratulations. Oh. Huzzah. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $68.04. All right, I'll take it. Or, you know, you could translate that to marbles, too, if you like. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the marbles. You promised me all the marbles. (laughs) All the marbles. He did. He said it was for all the marbles. He didn't say that you'd you'd get all the marbles. Mm. Yeah, it's for marbles. For all (laughs) marbles. (laughs) So just remember that. Well... Thank you so much, Felicity, and you now are officially a member of the ESO Network. Awesome. Yay. So she, has gone, she has gone through the hazing. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. been years in coming, but she's finally I know. Made it. I, I weaseled out of it for so long. Like I, was, I just kind of snuck aboard the, the space station along with Kevin and um, hoped you wouldn't notice. You were his plus one since Cornflake never shows up. So it's, uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that is awesome now you have full privileges you don't even need that bum with you it's perfect well right. it's really yeah, convenient yeah. too because now she can be on the next segment exactly Ooh. yay <laughs> speaking of the next segment we're going to be talking all about the 50th anniversary of monty python's flying circus let's take a quick break and then we're going to talk about something silly monty python's a flying circus Hi everyone, Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment, thankfully doing some music news instead of memorials, hoping to keep it that way. And the first item up, could we see another Live Aid in our lifetime? A coalition of government, CEOs, and nonprofits, chief among them Global Citizen, are planning to make that happen. They are currently in production for a show called Global Go Live, The Possible Dream, that they call the largest live broadcast in cause event history. It's set to take place September 26, 2020, just over a year away, under a year away. Um, it is scheduled to be 10 hours of music from five continents to raise funds in support of the UN's Sustainable Development Goal. Um, they did a pre- uh, press conference this past week, and they have announced that, among other acts, they have lined up Alicia Keys, Billie Eilish, uh, Coldplay, Cindy Lauper, Eddie Vedder, Janelle Monet, Lizzo, Ozzy Osbourne, Shawn Mendes, several more. Uh, hosts will include Hugh Jackman and Idris Elba. Uh, it's still in the planning stages, so if you want to keep tabs on that and get ready for next September, uh, the website is globalvision.org. Also, we haven't talk, talked about any box sets in a while, and uh, in the wake of the success of Bohemian Rhapsody and Queen's big moment that they're having now, they are releasing Never Boring, uh, a box set of the solo work of Freddie Mercury. That is due to come out October 11th. It will include three CDs, a Blu-ray, a DVD, and a hardcover photo book. It will include remixed, remastered versions of both of his solo albums, Mr. Bad Guy from 1985 and Barcelona from 1988. Uh, That is an album he did with uh, the opera star Montserrat Caballé uh, for the 88 Barcelona Games. There will also be 12 tracks of various uh, solo hits that he had, as well as videos and live performances. Um, I think the price tag on this is uh, about $100. So uh, 
earmark your paycheck for October 11th. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Check out the blog at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. Currently, the post is my Hall of Fame picks for this year's ballot. I have another one planned that might get a little touchy about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So all that's in store, and we will catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Just once in a decade, in a lifetime maybe, the world of entertainment is disrupted and utterly elated by something entirely new. Good Lord! It could be the script, the presentation, the players, or a combination of all three that team together to transform the ordinary into the original, to emerge with something completely different. And now for something completely different. him to drop the banana. Then you eat the banana, thus disarming him. Suppose he's got a bunch. Shut up! Not since Eve provoked Adam in that famous garden has anyone created such hilarious havoc. Do you want to come back to my place, bouncy, bouncy? That'll be six shillings, please. The Hungarian English phrase book. A must for the common market. Ah, ah, um, Yendelavasa Grudenui Stavenka. The maniacal laughter makers starring in and now for something completely different. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesday, I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. Here is something completely different in army maneuvers. Who did her whoops? Something completely different in marriage guidance council. Indeed, the very idea of consulting a professional marital advisor has always been of the greatest repugnance to me. Although, far be it from me to impugn the nature of your trade or or profession. How to appreciate good music. For a complete change in outrageous laugh-making cinema, join Monty Python's Flying Circus for something completely different. I cut down trees, I wear a hill, suspend his hand of guard. I wish I'd been a girly, just like my dear papa. And now for something completely different, it is time to talk about the 50th anniversary of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yes, it's 50 years. There's a lot of 50th anniversaries this year, and this one is, uh, well, this one's no exception. Um, and uh, with us, of course, we have Felicity still in the strap to the chair. Oh, come on. Can't I get out? Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, you wanted the comfy chair. Come on. Exactly. Hello. 
Oh, it is a comfy. That's true. It's the comfy chair. <laughs> well, so, that's, yes, so it's not too that's, bad. Uh, yes, that's a whole new thing. Um, and uh, we have with us joining us, uh, I think after quite some time, uh, Robert Ray is back with us. Hey, hey, guys. Howdy, sir. How you been? Good. How have y'all been? All right. Good. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I guess it takes a 50-year anniversary, right, to, to bring you out of mothballs? Uh, yeah, it could. It might. It could be others. We never know. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. I, I, I can't wait to get uh, started on this one. This is a uh, – Monty Python is very special, very special to me. Uh, probably one of the most influential uh, personal uh, pop culture things in, in my life. Uh, so uh, – uh, I can't wait to hear about, uh, well, let's start with how everybody got started. Like what was the first, uh, Monty Python esque thing that you saw or you experienced? Uh, let's start with you, Robert. Well, let's see. I, I've seen a lot of Monty Python over the years, but as far as I can tell, the earliest thing that I can recall is the silly walks. And I actually enjoyed, uh, seeing, John Cleese just be himself, just very ambidextrous and everything, just going all over the place. But that's the earliest thing I can remember. I know I've seen every one of them like multiple times. I've lost track, but that's the one that always sticks in my mind, just just to see how silly he is. <laughs> Visually, it's it's probably one of the most iconic uh, things about Monty Python. Like it's just out there. You just see you see uh, you see Cleese with the long legs. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, that's just, a, I mean, you just know right away. That's Python. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's always fun. Felicity, Felicity, what about you? Do you remember your first? Like the first, I, I don't remember necessarily what exactly the first was. I think I, uh, the spam song probably is one of the earlier ones. And then I remember, I think it's a pretty early episode of the series, uh, how to recognize different types of trees <laughs> from far away. <laughs> Number one, the larch. The larch. I think my, my brother and I just really <laughs> broke up over that. <laughs> I still remember that one time with uh, one of the Monty Python experiences at Dragon Con, a uh, friend of ours um, had done, also former uh, staff member else had uh, done the larch and everything and wanted us to include it into our little skit and everything. And I just had to do it. It was just so funny. The- Large. Yes. <laughs> uh, Mike, what about you? For me, actually, your guys kind of find this kind of funny. Doctor Who introduced me to a Monty Python as actor. As it does. And, you know, seeing John Cleese. And then around the same time I saw that, I saw Time Bandits. The first oh, time. Yes. I, and that's what introduced me because, you know, being the latchkey kid and being home by himself after school, HBO was wide <laughs> open. <laughs> and so seeing uh, Time Bandits and being introduced to Michael Palin and Eric Idle and, you know, Terry Jones and, you know, all the different actors from Python, it was just amazing to see. So I wanted to explore more and I got to see then – I got to, it was mostly the movies. So like Meaning of Life and Life of Brian and of course, Holy Grail were what I was introduced to. And then PBS started showing 
late at night, right after Doctor Who, they started showing Flying Circus. And so I was able yeah, to see Yeah, I was it trying to way. place yeah. it in my own personal chronology because I, by the time I saw Doctor Who City of Death, I definitely knew who John Cleese was. So I believe I may have started watching uh, Flying Circus on our PBS station a little bit before Doctor Who, which would have, would have put me, you know, around 12 or 13, which is kind of young, but my, my parents didn't exercise too much, uh, too much oversight and not, you know, they, they didn't necessarily uh, try to hold me back from things they didn't think were appropriate. So well, I, I'm with them as long as I watched it, you know, going with that, oh, yeah. you know, you know it, it, I know when I started watching Dr. Who it was on PBS, but I didn't see a whole lot of British shows. I did spe- see space 1999. I did see Dr. Who like on the different networks, but when I started watching it on, on our PBS station, that's when I saw all the others, Faulty Towers, Monty Python, all these other shows that I never got to experience. So it was it was a very eye-catching moment for me. <laughs> I uh, it, It's all like a ball of, of, of just everything at once for me. But I will, I, but I, and I, there's a lot of things that I, if you ask me what the first comic I read was, I can't remember mm-hmm. what that was. If you ask me what the first movie I saw was, I can't remember what that was. If you remember what, but, and and my memory is so spotty these days, but I I will say that I I don't know if I'll ever forget the first time I saw Monty Python. Now, I had been a lover of, uh, you know, uh, English television, English things, uh, Doctor Who, um, and uh, another local affiliate uh, in Boston, Channel 56, uh, used to show Benny Hill every night. (laughs) So I watched Benny Hill mm-hmm. a lot. Like I watched that every night and that was my idea of British. humor, <laughs> Right. So that's what I thought British humor was. Oh, sure. And I, uh, you know, with, because of Dr. Who I fell in love with um, uh, Douglas Adams and the radio plays of uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. And then I read the books. And so, yeah, I was getting more and more of an education on, on British uh, television, British comedians, uh, but the first time I tuned in on the PBS station to Monty Python, the the the, the sketch that I caught was Sam Peckinpah's Sally. <laughs> and for those people who may not be familiar with this, this is a uh, a takeoff on a Sam Peckinpah uh, uh, movie, in which um, yeah, it's uh, a basically um, a, a like a it's almost like a tennis party, right? Like a um, a uh, a bunch of people getting together just for a, a picnic, and it goes horribly wrong. Like there's blood everywhere, and I I actually hate it. <laughs> I I really? saw this segment and I just was like, this is awful. I hate this. This is dumb. I will never watch this again. Like I, the Monty Python is like done for me. I will never watch it again. Fast forward, I think a few must have been, I don't even know if it was a year, two years later, whatever. I saw, I sat down and watched because I'm a big King Arthur fan. I sat down and watched Holy Grail. Boy, you want to talk about a complete one. (laughs) (laughs) That is still one of my favorite movies of all time. Like it goes in like in my top five ever. And so because I like that so much, then I watched, you know, Life of Brian. And then I watched... Uh, and now for something completely different. And then finally I went back and, and started watching the series, you know, as, as it was in syndication where you could catch, where, you know, where you could catch it. Um, 
So yeah, it was a sort of a roundabout way. But the first time I watched Monty Python, I absolutely hated it. So that was a, a weird turnaround for me. As far as, as far as, you know, there's a lot to cover here because it's been 50 years and it started with the series. So we'll, we're going to f- focus a little bit on the series and, and I'm curious as to what, what about the series you think um, uh, attracted you personally? And, and Felicity, let's start with you at this time. I think just uh, I was at the right age to kind of appreciate the absurdity and uh, the silliness and how, how how sketches would just kind of wander off and turn into another sketch. I really liked kind of the transitions, the weird recurring characters, you know, Mr. I, I, I remember thinking Mr. Gumby was pretty hilarious <laughs> and uh, just, oh yeah, really appreciating John Cleese is just completely deadpan delivery so all of that just really made it made an impression on me in terms of you know it's it was nothing i think it just kind of jived with my sense of humor the and the sense of humor that uh my family shared just kind of absurd weird kind of non sequitur type of stuff Mm. uh mike what would you i mean when you finally did get around to watching the series what was it about the series that uh that you took away from well like you i had watched a lot of benny Mm. hill first and so you had the little skits but i loved you know being you know a comic book guy and being into you know wanting to study you know animation and such because being a young teenager i was fascinated by just like Yellow Submarine and some of the trippy stuff. I loved the animation between the different skits and everything mm-hmm. and the scenes. It drew me deeply into it. And then just how crude and funny the things were. You know, the guys were dressing up as women and, you know, hello, how are you? You know, and stuff like that. It was just always, you know, it was always great. And all of them, they didn't, none of them like were, all right, you're going to be the female character for the series. All of them, oh, did, sure. you know, and it, they, it was, there was no gender or anything and it was great. And it was like, sometimes you almost expected to see them break out laughing at some of the skits they were doing. And they were just, you could tell they respected each other and just were mm-hmm. having fun. And, you know, and then the first time <laughs> I heard the lumberjack song, it was just like, okay, that is awesome. And then what tipped me over was the <laughs> fish slapping song. The fish slapping you know? dance, yes. Yeah, exactly. It was just awesome. Uh, and I think that's one of the first the first bits they ever did was the fish slapping <laughs> dance, I think. Um, uh, oh, so brilliant. So brilliant. Um, uh, Robert, what about you? What, what, what are your summer takeaways from the series? Um, some of my takeaways would be you know, like in the first episode, there were some very unusual skits that they did. But the problem was is that it didn't flow very well at the start. But it was later on, they started getting their, their jive in, and they worked together, um, especially when um, Graham Chapman would actually be the, um, the military man. Mm-hmm. He's so serious and just... And just tries not to be so silly, even though he's really silly to everybody else, because everybody just laughs at it, just because he's trying to say keep things going along, but yet, you know, like the keep left signs. It's like 
keep attacking people and stuff like that. It's just, it's just some crazy stuff that they did. It's just, it just means a lot to laugh at something that they, which when I figured when I found out later on that they said they all did this, they just wrote these skits because they were angry about some things and they just wanted to just act it out and just be silly about it, which is crazy. I think uh, for me, um, uh, and I, I think I, I was introduced at the perfect age too, because by the time I really started getting into the series, I went to, I was uh, later in high school and then I went to college and in college, Monty Python's flying circus is just like, like fertile material for everybody. I mean, it just lives, it, it breathes in college, right. For college crowds, at least at that time, I have no idea what the college kids did, but, um, um, and cause we, you know, I was familiar with sketch comedy. I enjoyed sketch comedy. I enjoyed, I loved the Carol Burnett show. Uh, I loved, uh, and that time, you know, that was the, you know, when SNL was really with the not ready for primetime players, it was amazing. Um, so, but Monty Python Flying Circus was different. It, there was no laugh track. I mean, I know that they had to, uh, I think um, that was a controversy. I think they put some in occasionally uh, because they, the studio was kind of confused about some things. Uh, the network was. Um, but um, it was, it was it, later on in college, you know, we would just analyze all these sketches and just the brilliance of them. And yes, some of them are, we're going, we're angry about things. So we're going to, we're, we're angry at the stupidity of things. So we're going to display it. Others were just wordplay thing sketches. Um, they were, they just, some of them were physical comedy. Sometimes they'd mix and match. I mean, these guys were excellent and they just didn't, focus on one element of comedy they seem to have a huge range and they could just pull it out wherever they wanted to it's as far as we need this you know here we need a little bit of um physical comedy so let's do this bit and then right here we're going to go right into some some wordplay and here we're going to and you know some of that stuff i mean they are all professionals that's why i don't think like in Carol Burnett, you see, you would see them laugh all the time because they, as a matter of fact, Tim Conway made it, per, his purpose was on the show was to make people laugh, like his castmates. But in Python, these guys are, they're kind of serious about their comedy, right? They, they study it, they write it, they, they put a lot of time and effort into it. And then they go out there and they, it's important that they deliver it, right? Um, so I, I got the impression that they, that they took it, you know, as seriously as they could at the time. I know Cleese probably was more so because he was the oldest of them and probably had the most experience at that point. But I'm kind of curious because we've kind of all mentioned a few people and, you know, I hate to sound like a, you know, little uh, uh, fangirl or a fanboy or whatever and be like, who's your favorite? But is, is there anybody that you sort of have as a, a favorite Python member? Mike, we'll start with you. Oh, that's like saying which of my <laughs> children are my favorite. You know? No, I can't do that. I like all of them equally for different reasons, either from while they were doing Python or things they went on to after Python. You know, each one of them has, you know, their strengths. And, you know, I just, I love each one of them. There's no way I can just say, oh, Michael Palin or you know, Terry Gillian, or, you know, you can't say, you know, oh, I loved this by Eric Idle, because each one contributed in a different way. 
And I don't think Mighty Python would be Monty Python if one of the, those pieces was missing. So you can't say which was my favorite. Well, and and a true test of that was the final season because Cleese was missing for most of it. And and I feel like right. that season is rough. Like the, se- the the episodes that he's not on, like just feels like there's something missing. It's almost and later on when they when they go their separate ways, they all take aspects of Python with them. But yet it's not a complete package right until they get back together and do some of the movies and stuff that they do um uh anybody else felicity do you have anybody that in particular uh, a favorite python I member think I, like mike said it's it's really hard to choose you you know every time i think i'm leaning toward one of them then i think oh but what about i, I think i kind of gravitated toward graham chapman and michael palin perhaps i mean i liked you know from seeing the movies you know it, Graham Chapman's really, you know, he's the main character of Holy Grail and Life of Brian. And, and he did that. Uh, Robert referred to the, uh, you know, the uh, military man character. So he was he was sometimes playing the straight man, but and was perhaps, you know, the best actor of all of them. But there's just something something about his sensibility I liked. And uh, you mentioned the uh, the last season, which I agree is, you know, lacking but it actually has one of my favorite episodes of the whole series which is the michael ellis episode that all takes place in the department store and there are there are parts of that that just make me laugh just thinking about them (laughs) so i do think yeah you need the whole ensemble to really get the full experience but there are there are things that that uh that shine through um with with all of the performers really Robert, same same with you? Well, yeah, I agree with everybody else. It is hard to pinpoint somebody. But if I was going to actually pinpoint somebody, even in particular, it would be Eric Idle, because I can see he's a writer and how he, you know, presents these sketches and everything. He's not that much of an actor, but yet his strengths are more into writing versus uh, John Cleese doing his uh, visual uh, slapstick comedy type stuff and everybody else doing their own little thing. And it, yeah, not, not exactly. <laughs> but it, it, he's, he's actually a very, uh, a, a good writer, especially a good singer too. He's, he's mm-hmm. phenomenal as, in the songs that he's actually written and everything. And uh, I actually saw he did a, um, uh, uh, iconic characters that, uh, with GQ actually did on that. Uh, they did a YouTube video on, and he was just going through the whole spiel with everything, with all the movies and all that stuff. And and he even said how they all got together, how this, how John Cleese was this, and how Michael Palin was this. I don't think he actually mentioned uh, Terry Gilliam, as a matter of fact, if I remember correctly. But all of them are great in their own strengths, and and and, and it brought magic to the show that everybody actually still loves even to this date. Yeah, it, it's just it is interesting. I mean, the the pairing up and the roles that each of them had. I know that for most part, uh, it was Cleese and Chapman writing sketches, um, and that does that's not to say that they only wrote sketches that they appeared in. No, they would write sketches for the others, to, and they would fill the slots. But as far as the writing teams goes, it was Cleese and Chapman, it was Jones and Palin, and then. Eric was on his own mm-hmm. coming up with his own material. Uh-huh. And like you said, a lot of it was musical based. And then of course, Terry Gilliam 
was just like he like they they didn't even they only saw him barely like once a like once Ooh, a yeah. week or so you know because he was just you know shacked up in his uh a, like flat in London trying to put all the animation together under uh huge uh deadlines so um so yeah let's um you know and and each bring something different to the table but I want to stop on Terry for a minute because Mike you mentioned that Terry Gilliam's animation was something that hooked you in right away. Um, so how important do you think Terry Gilliam was to the look and, and overall impact of, of Monty Python? Oh, completely. It drew you in. It was like nothing you had ever seen in mainstream. You might have you know, seen some avant-garde work that was something similar, especially, you know, mid to late 60s but the artwork itself like i had mentioned earlier it tied sometimes the scenes together and they carried that over into the movies also and it was just it was just breathtaking to see this because you never knew what was going to come out next you know you sometimes would, would see you know a manator or you would see you know a machine, some kind of steampunk machinery type thing. And then you have the foot of God smashing everything. You know, it was just always just so it was outworldly and coming out of the mind of this one man. It's, it's <laughs> awesome. And it just proves to me how insane he is. Yeah. I think that, you know, the show really isn't the show without the credits, you know, that just sets the scene for the whole thing. And I always loved them and, and how they would change from season to season. I was always really interested to see what they would come up with. Especially when Terry Gilliam actually came up with the ravenous bug bladder beast of ah! <laughs> <laughs> eyes everywhere. It was just really, really silly. I don't know how I put that together, but he did it. <laughs> yeah. Crunch, 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 crunch. <laughs> um, the other thing I, I, I have to say too is that um, I love looking back on it too, Monty Python is one of those things where you look back on and you're like, they're unique for their time, but it's almost like I can almost say that they'll, we'll never see their like again because, or I'm afraid that we won't because the things that they did back then, you could never get away with. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned that you probably would never see something like that again, but you had, you know, in some ways I put like kids in the hall in the same category in some ways, you know, stuff like that. And, but Monty Python was the first ones they were, you know, they were originals. They, you know, they gelled together, you know, they came together in college and it was just awesome. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, look, there's been sketch comedy is going to be around. I mean, sketch comedy was around long before Monty Python and it's going to be around long after. Right. Um, but I, I do think that the the things that Py, the the Pythons, I think one of the reasons why nobody really picks on them as being you know particularly offensive, say, or you know sexist, racist, whatever, is because yeah, well, they were all because, the above. I was going to say because <laughs> they just had a whole open palette where everybody was a target, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody was safe, no one at all. And and usually they were just so darn clever about it that you kind of had to applaud them. Like, yes, that is kind of funny to make fun of that thing because 
you did a good job at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, certainly if you were a chartered accountant, uh, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of reasons not to like Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, watching it initially as a, a young teenager, I didn't really get a lot of the kind of political social satire, especially a lot of it was specific to England, but certainly oh, yes. later on, I loved like, you know, the upper class twit of the year awards. And stuff yeah. like that. No, exactly. And that's, what's the great thing about it. It's like, no matter what age, you know, a lot of the humor when I was younger passed right mm-hmm. over my head, <laughs> it flew over my head. Now watching it, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get it back then. Oh God. You know? Well, I think that's the other thing too. The show was so deep. And and there was so met so much uh, to take in that you can continue. Uh, the rewatch factor on Python is some of the best that you'll ever find. You know, you can rewatch episodes and episodes and episodes of the of Monty Python, and it it'll almost seem like a new experience every time. No, exactly, and that's what was really cool about it. It was just, and it ages very well. It I, you could go back and watch, you know, fifty years ago the TV show. And it's still relevant. It doesn't feel dated at all. Yeah, it, it seems to take place in its own little time capsule. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the sketches are timeless. Like, you know, I mean, the parrot sketch, <laughs> you could do anytime, anywhere, right? I mean, it just it just would work. It's just a dude returning a dead pet. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love that one. And also the cheese shop sketch. Just like any time where... Um, <laughs> Michael Palin is the uh, the st- the shopkeeper, and uh, John Cleese uh-huh. is the the straight man trying to uh, to buy or return something to him. Well, and 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 Cleese later on made a whole series about mm-hmm. that, right? Like Faulty Towers, which is like the the whole premise of each one of those episodes is how fun it is to watch John Cleese's character get so annoyed. <laughs> over time that he finally just bursts like and then when he bursts he does it at the most inopportune time in the most inopportune way i mean that's that's the beauty of cleese's character (laughs) in a lot of those um and yeah i can't think of any character or actor that i could that i can yeah none i can think of that's more fun to watch be annoyed than (laughs) he just wears it so well so let's talk about okay so the series and then you know they go into movies they do uh some uh movies that are uh, basically adaptations of sketches they do live performances uh but then we have uh sort of a trilogy of of movies uh, starting with Holy Grail then Life of Brian and then much later on Meaning of Life um what is your experience with with how do you feel about the movies do you think they exceed the uh, the show, or you know, maybe not as good, or a little bit different. What do you think, Robert? Well, I think they complement with what they've done in the past. But actually, since they're actually writing something that's not really well, in a way, there were like many skits, like in the uh, Holy Grail, for example. There was just like they were trying to do this, and they're trying to get to a shrubbery, and they're trying to cross the bridge of death, and things like that. But it's all like little be skits together, even though it's a whole journey. Um, Life of Brian, that's pretty much about the same thing, but since they wanted to, to kind of poke fun at religion and stuff like that, even though I hate to say that's pretty much one of my least favorite Python films, but it's not one I watch regularly over and over and over again, but I think I need to revisit it again. <laughs> but 
um, <laughs> the meaning of life. Now, the first time I'd seen that, that one nearly grossed me out mm-hmm. twice. <laughs> I mean, I was revolted. I'm like, what in the heck am I watching? I mean, the, compared to what they did in the series, and all of a sudden you see blur- blood spurting up, up in the air, trying to get a liver or something, and then and then the Mr. Creosote explodes all over the all over every, all the diners and the TV and the and the tables and everything, just because of a wafer thin mint, you know. It's just a wafer. Yeah. <laughs> But, I love the way that opens. The and, how, do you, how are you feeling, Monsieur? Better. Better get a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> I remember showing that skit oh, to William God. the first time. He almost pissed himself. He was Gosh. laughing so much. I had the same reaction as Robert to to Meaning of Life, and I don't think I ever quite got past it. I just There's, there's parts of that movie that I just can't watch. Although there are, but there are also parts that I like a lot. I think actually, uh, Life of Brian is my favorite, just in terms of of being a a pretty solid film. Um, I I like that one, and I just you know I love Holy Grail, but I I overdosed on it to the point where I could quote the entire thing backwards <laughs> and forwards. So oh yeah, mm-hmm. who can, who so can? I think, maybe, oh, like, I think Life of Brian maybe holds up best as like a just a. a a piece of filmmaking. Right. And that's what the cool thing about it is, is, you know, their take on, you know, religion and so many people came out against them for, because of oh, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the church did right away and they hadn't even seen it yet. And they oh, were, of against course. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly. kind of their MO. Right. Right. <laughs> but George Harrison famously, oh, you know, funded it because he wanted to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wanted he wanted them to make it so that he could watch it. Yeah. So, but it's interesting because you have George Harrison, you know, so involved with the mm-hmm. Pythons, especially the movies, because mm-hmm. he also fi- funded Time yep. Bandits too. Wait, there's a Time Bandits. And too. <laughs> also, just, sorry, sorry. There's always <laughs> going to be a Time <laughs> Bandits too. <laughs> um. You just don't remember it. <laughs> really, no. really, really. Uh, Mike, what about you? What are your overall thoughts on on the movie trilogy? Oh, the movies just each one speaks for itself because it's a different take on society, and you know, meaning of life is just awesome. That's why I'll never eat salmon moose. So, <laughs> you know, and then you know, it just there's just so much cool stuff about you know, their takes on society and then for them to torture King Arthur and, you know, turn that on its head. And truthfully, I think it's still one of the best tales of the search for the Holy Grail, you know, and it's just, it's just awesome. And, you know, then finding out the stories about, you know, how drunk, you know, Graham Chapman was the whole time during you know holy grail and you know him not even remembering his lines and the others had to pick up the pieces for him and it was just it's just it's just awesome to hear the different stories and the tales and to watch it over and over again and not get tired of seeing any of the movies life of brian was wonderful and it also brought you know one of the songs monty python is most mm-hmm. associated True. with now you know, and they even made a musical out, based, you know, 
based off between mixing that and, you know, you know, basically the Holy Grail, you know, spam a lot became hugely mm-hmm. successful. And, you know, that's almost all Eric Idle. Yeah, I mean, it's a Python. Completely. Yeah. Pythons yeah. get credit. Cause obviously they take a lot. He takes a lot from the movie, but, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's that was his baby because the rest of them were just like we do whatever <laughs> you, you go ahead whatever. I mean they've pretty much all done mm-hmm. that since then, right? I mean I, I don't I, I don't know how close they are as terms of like friends and everything, but um, I you know there is a camaraderie there uh, so much so that they uh, are often appear in others uh, their, you know one another's projects. So even though, you know, Time Bandits is not a Monty Python movie, but yet it feels like in that theme because of, because of the, all the actors that are in it. Um, uh, I'd say Baron Munchausen too. Yes. Good call. Good call. Yes. Um, and likewise, I mean, you know, I think, uh, look, I, I, I think that Terry Gilliam's one of the best film directors uh, that uh, we've ever had. Uh, Brazil is a personal favorite of mine. And, and uh, you know, to your point, Felicity, too, you mentioned that you, you felt like Palin might have been the best actor of the bunch. He's chilling in that movie. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, like, honest to God, chilling that I've, like, like yeah. Like, uh, uh, usually he's known, as, you think of him as the, you know, the guy who's just the, like the guy next door, the guy that, you know, wouldn't harm a fly or whatever, or the guy that goes around the world, mm-hmm. right. in 80 days or whatever, and does all those travelogue shows. But in that movie, he's convincingly chill. Yeah, definitely. And there is a, like they, that that's the thing. They all had that element. And I think Python more than any other sketch comedy show that I can think of anyway, had that element of danger where they, they did touch upon the darkness uh, of us a little bit um not not too deep they never went like full dark but i mean i don't think you could consider monty python as a whole a dark comedy but certainly there are elements there right oh extremely so especially you know when they talked about death or talked to you know you know the afterlife and a lot of the things you know how horrible life can be they went very dark many times on this show and in the movies, even it was just really interesting to see. But I mean, I can specifically remember uh, there's uh, there's the one sketch where I think uh, is it, is it Palin actually who is uh, he's, he's presenting a design for a, a meat factory. No, it's, it's John Cleese. He like did that. Brutal. Yeah, it was John. It was John. Is it John? The razor yeah. sharp knives. The people, and, float, uh, you know, the blood sports this way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, he did that. Yes. And then, of course, there's the uh, oh, yeah. the chocolates. Yes, crunchy frog. Yes. Um, with the, with uh, Terry Gilliam, then... uh, Terry Gilliam doing his best <laughs> puking. <laughs> Well, I think we could say all two agree if if Palin's the best actor all of them out of all of them, <laughs> Gilliam's the best. <laughs> I mean, bless his heart. Yeah. He he's a, he's a great character, but you don't ask him to do a lot, right? <laughs> like I think the you know, his stre- his range is just basically uh is the limit is when he's he's playing the the, the I think it's the father or whatever of uh 
and a sketch, and he's just like, <laughs> I want more beans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like shoveling beans in his mouth with the whole sketch. <laughs> um, what do you feel is the overall impact? It's been 50 years. Uh, Monty Python, I believe, and see, you know, like I said, I'm kind of out of what the kids are into these days, but I still feel like Monty Python is relevant. Uh, some of the things that they are, that they target, the absurd situations and everything sort of still like sort of play out. I still, I still can think of, or I still come up with in my head, are reminded of quotes and scenes from various Python sketches and movies over the years, almost on a daily basis. Uh, just because I feel like that's how relevant they are. Um, but how do you guys feel? Do you think it's something that, uh, or what do you think is the impact overall uh, of of this group of guys? Felicity? I think, I mean, they were definitely, you know, one of the the uh, premier influences on, on sketch comedy. Uh, definitely, like you said earlier, from a more kind of serious actorly perspective, you know, they're not cracking each other up. They're, they're doing you know, scripted work, but uh, like you said, in a, in a very kind of absurdist way, uh, satirical, I think that there's really n- nothing like it. And, and yet a lot of things that were influenced by it, you cited um, kids in the hall, which I think is, was definitely influenced by them. And one of my, I'm also not up to date with what the kids are watching, but one of my favorite uh, sketch shows that's m- more recent than, Monty Python, still not very recent, was The State on MTV. And okay. a lot, a yeah, lot of those performers that. like Michael Ian Black and Thomas Lennon are still still floating around doing a lot of stuff today. So I think, you know, it was a different kind of sketch comedy, but also very kind of, you know, uh, structured in a, in a sort of similar way in, in, in that the sketches would kind of relate to each other or kind of, you know, one would walk into the other and they had some recurring characters and uh, that's something, you know, I think I'm sure that there are other sketch comedy shows today that I am just not familiar with, but I think that there's always going to be a space for that kind of, of show. Uh, that's a, you know, a collection of sketches, like I kind of a, uh, ensemble of players that really kind of all bring different strengths to the, uh, the cast. I truthfully don't think there was one weak member of the no. Python crew. No, I, there are times in my life where I, I probably would have disagreed with you, but over time I've learned to appreciate all of them uh, and what they brought. Um, there were some that I think, you know, at different periods I like more than others, but I think that's the beauty of it. It's like, you know, with someone who I really appreciated in my younger days or I didn't appreciate, like I've learned over time, like, Oh, I understand that, that character now. <laughs> like, like, So it's, uh, it, yeah, I, I think, you know, you couldn't find six more, uh, you know, more talented folks to, to get together and perfect, perfectly fit, you know, uh, Robert, what about you? What do you think? I think is the, the overall, uh, impact overall impact is that they, they, in, they made their sketches. They made people laugh. They had fun doing it. Um, and also inspired other people. Now, there's a sketch comedy show that uh, I am not sure if it got inspired by Monty Python. Of course, this person is also from a different country, from Australia, 
Paul Hogan show did. They actually had his own little sketch comedy show, which was very different and unique in the same aspect. Uh, kind of Monty Python-ish at times, but other times it was it was just you know somebody just having fun with other people, like like calling people uh, calling a show game show called Thickhead. Everybody's a complete idiot uh, on the show, not even actually answering a question correctly. Things like that. Um, I also think it inspired other people, like um, the alternative comedy of nineteen of the nineteen eighties, when people like Rick Mail, Adrian Edmondson had come on the scene, but their style was also outside the box, like Monty Python was, when they're beating the crap out of each other, basically. And uh, the and the young ones, it literally, yeah. literally. Like literally, those two yes, guys, especially in bottom. Oh my hard. goodness, they were just all over the place. Even when they were on their live show, too, they they really just did not hold back at all. But you know, mm. but I think that was the main impact for the, the, the other people uh, that, that inspired to do their own type of of comedy. You know, to help you know enforce comedy into a different different realm that. That's also uh, respective of Monty Python. Yeah, good call. I could definitely see, you know, the, there's a thread there, right? I mean, I I went on that road where, you know, I started with Benny Hill, went to Monty Python, graduated to Young Ones, you know, like went on to Absolutely Fabulous. Like there's that, that through way that you can kind of see, like that just sort of feels right that they're all connected in that way. And I must say, I don't, I don't think I've, you know, experienced um, uh, a British comedy really in the last maybe decade or so. So I don't know if that thread is still there. I have to believe it is, and to an extent. But I, I even see, I even see elements of of Doctor Who that I like, New Who that I'm like, yeah, that that's kind of reminiscent of what I was uh, watching in yeah. Python. Mike, what about you? What uh, what do you think is the impact? Well, the impact is, you know, it affected sketch comedy. It affected the way people watch television in a lot of ways. And it, you know, it started the whole rapid fire, you know, comedy and, you know, keeping people on their toes, you know, and making, you know, w- making people wanting to see more. And I think it evolved British humor. You know, you had stuff before this, like the Peter Sellers and the Dudley Moores and the Peter Cook. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You had, you know, stuff like that. And they influenced Monty Python. And then you had all these different, you know, afterwards, you know, people that followed the young ones and, you know, all these different character in shows that tried to emulate and you could see homages all the way through both all the way around the world not just in the uk or the us you have you know stuff out of australia you have stuff out of asia you have stuff out of france and you know europe it's just it's just amazing and canada i mean sctv and and you know kids in the hall are two great examples of things that i think were influenced to an extent uh, by Python, maybe not SCTV. SCTV was kind no. of current, maybe. Well, I mean, no, even no. even iconic characters like the McKenzie brothers, for example, they 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 really put a niche into mm-hmm. 
you know, the sketch comedy world, even even in Canada. I do too. <laughs> I miss good sketch comedy. I don't know if it's out there, but if anybody, if anybody's listening that has a, a line on some good sketch comedy that's out there, let us know because uh, I'm curious. I just would like to see if uh, so if the if if the if the light's still burning, so to speak, you know, uh, because I I don't think in certainly in pop like mass pop, pop culture with all this all these shows and all this stuff that we have at our fingertips, you know, streaming and on networks and otherwise. I don't see anything like like that even comes close to something like that. Actually, this, I just thought of you know? Portlandia, which you know had a more limited cast. It was it was mainly focused around Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein playing different characters. But that mm-hmm. kind of had had the feel of kind of a you know a community, but with with a lot of quirky characters and a lot of you know kind of one thing leading into another. Um, I think that's that's worth watching even though it's, if it's not exactly the same thing. No, that's a good point. But they had the different skits and different, you know, and like Monty Python, sometimes they had mm-hmm. multiple skits during one episode and sometimes they would tie all together, like different characters and stuff. And Monty Python did yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Which was pretty darn awesome. All right. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's almost time to wrap up, but I think um, before we get out of here uh, now, look, I asked you about your favorite character. I'm certainly not going to say ask what your favorite <laughs> sketch is because that's that that's difficult, right? But what I want you to kind of think about is uh, for those people listening, those people who might be semi-familiar with Monty Python or who maybe who have never heard of Monty Python and don't know where to start or whatever, if there's a particular sketch that or something that they should watch that um is sort of maybe under the radar you know you could say the parrot sketch you could say silly walks and all that kind of stuff and those are like the big you know the top the top sketches that gets all the glory right but as far as a maybe an underground or like i said a not very thought of sketch um uh felicity we'll start with you can you think of something that uh people should definitely uh, make it a mark to check out uh one of my favorites a couple of my favorites one one of them is um mrs ann elk who has a theory about <laughs> and uh, another one these are just kind of like weird weird talk show appearances i would i would put uh make a, a theme out of the, the other one was uh um chapman playing uh his name is spelt luxury yetched, but it's pronounced throat wobbler mangrove. <laughs> <laughs> mangrove, yes. <laughs> just any of the any of those, you know, kind of TV appearances that just kind of goes off the rails. And also, a, a, a sheep is not a creature of the air. <laughs> Talking about sheep trying to fly, and then and then following that up with the, I think it's uh, John Cleese and uh, and possibly Michael Palin as as Frenchmen who were who are just uh, demonstrating the uh, aerodynamics of sheep. Yes. I love it when they yes. have <laughs> The one who has the mustache does the talking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, Robert? I think the one thing, because I, I heard Felicity mention about sheep, but one thing I was thinking of was, was the killer sheep. Was uh, especially um, uh, seeing, you know, seeing them do their things with, Oh, they've got a gun. I don't know how sheep would have guns, but they just did it with the Terry or Terry Gilliam did it with his animation. <laughs> um, but another one that comes to mind was a 
talking hedgehog when it, towards the end of the of the episode when they were interviewing all these gangsters and everything and Doug, and Doug was going <laughs> on saying about Doug it's like oh everybody's afraid of God everybody's afraid of Doug Doug but the thing is. When, it, when they were talking about the hedgehog and they, at the end of the credits go in the, in the background, and I did see it, but the audience didn't see it. But when they got to it and it, and it was pretty much right in your face and it goes, Denzel, and it, just everybody, everybody <laughs> just loses it. And yes. I'm like, I saw it like two or three skits before, two or three scenes before, but you know, okay, you saw it now, but it was, it was really great just to see a hedgehog just trying to look for, Dinsdale, you know, so funny. <laughs> and of course, that's, that's, that's what I was trying to remember. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, yes. you know, on the hunt for Dinsdale Piranha. <laughs> yes, actually, that oh, was, uh, actually, that was going to be my pick. So that's funny. Uh, or one of, or one, or one of my picks, yeah. but that's, yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. Uh, but, uh, uh, Mike, what about you? Well, for me, you know, most of my favorite or Monty Python sketches, you know, has to be like one of the, like the one of the restaurant ones where, you know, you had John Cleese as the chef and Michael Palin as the maitre d' all snooty Mm -hmm. and everything. Those were always classic. And then, of course, the spam. No, we have not. Spam, 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 <laughs> we haven't spam, talked about spam at all this episode. Spam, spam, spam. I'll have the spam with the spam and the spam and the spam with the spam. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love that. Ah, I hate so, spam. It's I just, hate it. Just, don't you have anything else but spam? Well, we have the spam, spam, spam and spam. It doesn't have too much spam in it. I'll have yours then. I love it. <laughs> yes, I'll right. have yours. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have yours then. Uh, baked beans are off. Do you no, if I eat your spam? It's okay. Beans. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, there's man, there's so many, and so many like hit like my head. Like, uh, you know, I love uh, a lot of the um, the game shows that they do. Um, uh, you know, the the, the contest to, to see um, uh, what the biggest <laughs> insult to Belgians can be. And uh, I think, I think the winner was like, let's not call them anything. Let's just call them Belgians. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, or, um, you know, the punch in the throat, uh, the John Cleese is the uh, sadistic uh, game show host there. Um, and, uh, and then like some of their, their take on, on like news or interview um, interviews. Um, my favorites yes. are, the election night special <laughs> as, and then also uh, there's one where, uh, man, I think I want to say it's Jones, but so, you know, it's weird because they do get, they're so good at like doing multi multi roles that you kind of, I get, get confused as to who you remember was in what hmm. part. Right. Yeah, exactly. They all could have been playing the same yeah, part because they're, they were all that points. good. Uh, but I do remember one in particular where it was like, I think it was sports talk or something. And I do remember Cleese was a, uh, um, a, uh, some, a football player or something that had just yes. taken one too many hits. And, you know, he kept saying, well, Brian, oh, yeah. I'm yes. opening a boutique. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just never got old to me. It's just like every once in a while that pops into my head. Well, Brian, I'm opening a boutique. <laughs> So strange, so strange. 
Um, but look, if if anybody out there hasn't seen Monty Python, see Monty Python. Uh, I, I don't think you'll go bad. Like you'll have a bad experience no matter what you pick. Um, uh, unless like me, you start with the <laughs> Sam Peckinpah sketch. Uh, uh, cause that might, that might turn your stomach a little bit and then you, you know, you get a weird, weird vibe. But, uh, I think on, um, on Netflix the show, there's a series called Monty Python's best bits. So it has kind of some celebrities introducing some of their favorite sketches. So that might be a good oh. place to start. Oh, that's cool. Wow. Yeah, cool. that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, I'll have to check that out. <laughs> I'll have some no, another way to waste time. Like I didn't need like I <laughs> I've already run through the series maybe like eighteen hundred times. So uh but uh and they also have a lot of live performances that I would recommend. Um and their records are oh, are yeah. amazing. Um uh, they uh, it's amazing how a lot of the sketches translate to audio just fine and they add elements too, which are just hilarious. So I would definitely and recommend sometimes they actually out, do uh, the use strong too, language so. on those uh, on those audios. No, nothing wrong at all. You can add extra. Nothing wrong with those. <laughs> you know how hard it was. You know how hard it was for me not to say one of my favorite sketches would sit on my face and you know, and trying to keep it clean and everything for tonight. So it was just it was just awesome, and you know, you know. It was. It's great to see what all the cast members have done and such, and you know those who have passed. But it's also really, you know, you have to remember those who are still with us mm-hmm. aren't. Some of them aren't in good shape. These guys are getting old, aren't we all? You know, well, no. It's just really sad. I just saw the other day that uh, Michael Palin was talking about Terry Jones because oh, Terry, yeah. Terry Jones, yeah. Terry has Alzheimer's. And he he's at the point now he doesn't remember anybody. And Michael Palin was talking about that that he, last time yeah. he went to see him he didn't even remember who he was. I was and, uh, I was over in England oh, wow. when Graham passed. Uh, that's when I was uh, doing my internship, and it was on the headlines when I was walking to uh, my internship that morning, and it was like a punch in the gut. I couldn't, I, I could barely like function that day. That took me by surprise when Graham passed. And yeah, um, I've luckily I got a chance to meet Graham oh, wow. before he passed. Uh, and I have to say that I've got a chance to meet almost all of them, uh, except for Cleese and Idol. I've been in the <laughs> same room as Cleese and Idol, but I've never met them or talked to them. So, uh, um, but uh, yeah. And, and yeah, and the last time I met Jones was when he was at uh, DragonCon a few years ago. And yeah, I mean, he didn't look good then. I'm kind of surprised he's still with us, Mike, to be honest with you. No, exactly. You know, I feel fortunate a couple of years ago, we got to go see, we got to see Eric Idle and John mm-hmm. Cleese perform together at Cobb Energy Center. Awesome. When, it, when It was just so much fun to go see them. But it was also, and, you know, seeing, you know, Terry Gilliam and seeing the different folks when they've come to DragonCon. Mm-hmm and everything i know that's been one of your things that you want to go see these folks when they come yes yes so yeah it's uh as um what's the name of douglas adams uh one of his last books last yes. chance to see so uh yeah uh, he, he not talking about he's not talking about python members but uh it it, it does uh it does hold up so 
Definitely. So hopefully, you know, think good thoughts. We won't lose any of them anytime soon. But uh, yeah, uh, they've made an impact uh, certainly on my life and a lot of other people as well. So thanks, everybody, for joining us in the discussion. And uh, we'll be right back with the ESO Network. Okay. Everybody, always look on the bright side of life. For the week of October 3rd, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Well, we don't have a lot of uh, conventions coming up uh, to report We're done. We're done. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done yet. Uh. Not completely. As I said, we don't have a lot. But before we, we talk about the ones in the future... Uh, we gotta, we, let's go back to the last weekend a little bit. Uh, Mike and I attended uh, Monsterama. I believe it was the fifth, sixth Monsterama, something like that. Something like that. We've been at all of them. Uh, I have not, but uh, I, I would like to say I have because they're awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, I certainly have been to the most. Like Yeah, I've been to most of them. Um, but uh yeah, Monsterama took place in Alpharetta, Georgia. It was September 27th through the 30th, and it was fun. Um, that like Monsterama is a is a small show, uh, a few hundred people gathering together, uh, talking about uh, their love, sharing their love for classic uh, monster movies, uh, classic horror literature, uh, celebrating the some of the people that have been parts. Uh, part of those, whether it's be makeup people or uh, actors that have been in those. Uh, so um, put on by our very good friends, uh, Sue and Anthony and a bunch of great volunteers. Um, so Mike and I were there uh, manning the ESO or Earth Station One booth for, oh yeah, we've been doing that for three years, I think. Um, for the last three years at that hotel. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's a great vibe. I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of fun people that come to the show. Certainly, uh, you know, things like the, the, the Monster Prom and the Spook, the Spook Show uh, are mainstays there. I think that's, those are the most popular events that are there. Um, but uh, also, I love seeing uh, our friend, a friend of the station, Dacre Stoker. He comes every year, does a uh, panel or two on uh, an update on some of the research that he's been doing on his great, great uncle, Graham, uh, Bram Stoker. And he's learned, he always has, it's always fascinating, the things that he's uncovered about uh, Bram Stoker and, uh, and the influence that it's had on his work, particularly Dracula. So that's, it, it's it, like, I, I, I won't miss those. Those are, those are must-sees when I'm at the, at the con. So um, 
But uh, Mike, uh, what was your vibe on Monsterama this year? Monsterama is a very laid back convention. It's a convention where you have time to socialize with people, see friends, go to some amazing panels and some really great guests. Anthony does go out of his way to get some great horror guests. Yeah. And this, this year was Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, even if there are people that we've never heard of before, um, the, the like that doesn't. Yeah, you might think, oh, I've never really, I'm not familiar with those people when you look at the guest list. But then once you get to meet these people and hear their stories, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, Mike and I had a particularly uh, great meetup with uh, Jackie Joseph. Oh, and, she was course, so wonderful. Yeah, and and Jackie Joseph, I mean, her big credits are that she was um, Audrey in the original Little Shop of Horrors movie. Yes. Uh, but she also did tons of TV work, Hogan's Heroes and... Uh, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, right. Andy Griffith. Um, you know, you name it, she has done it. <laughs> yeah, and really. It's pretty awesome. And she was married for many, many years to Ken Berry. Yep. Yep, and she also did a lot of voice work. In fact, uh, probably her most famous role there was as Melody, the drummer, in Josie and the Pussycats. The original. Yes, the original, yes. Uh, but yeah, she, so she, um, and she's just a sweet lady. Uh, you know, she would come by the table, um, and uh, we, you know, there's, a, there's some really fun pictures of us. Let's put it that way, um, that you can see posted to the ESO Network uh, Instagram. Uh, page so i, I so never so, felt like a giant standing next to somebody before because <laughs> she was just so uh, tiny but uh i spotted uh you know saint actor ian ogilvy a few times uh he was always you know he might be getting up there in age but uh like he turned a f- more than a few heads ladies heads uh that is uh when he would uh, walk around the con so Ian has still got it. Oh, very um, much so. And uh, the, an actress from the Satanic Rites of Dracula, Pauline Pert, was uh, sweet as well. She's still in great shape. And uh, she came by the table to... Uh, Steal usually, candy. Yeah, exactly. Usually she was uh, stealing the candy. So, uh, But uh, she, was, she was a lot of fun too. So, And listening, like I said, listening to their stories was was really fun um and uh and they, you know i got to talk to artist craig hamilton friends of the station uh jr mounts mark maddox were there uh vending and of course it's always great to see them and check out their their newest art projects man jr has got a really great line of stuff coming if you have not checked out jr mounts on either uh deviantart instagram facebook wherever you can find him He's, he's been doing these le- latest series of paintings, drawings, um, uh, where they're kind of like shadow play. And it, they're really emotional. They're really, really, really powerful stuff. Yes, it's really interesting. And some of them are really touching. And it makes you go, oh, you know, it makes you think. And just seeing his work is just amazing. And he gets so much better all the time. And that's the great thing about JR is he's just such a talented writer and artist. And I hope the shadow series goes somewhere for him. He really deserves it. 
I also got to talk to uh, artist Craig Hamilton and uh, author Nancy Collins for a little while. They are working on a Frankenstein prequel in comic form uh, that looks, well, if you know Craig Hamilton's work, I mean, the man uh, helped redesign a look for Aquaman back in the day. And uh, he did some work for on Sandman. This guy's work is gorgeous. Um, And I saw some artwork for the uh, Frankenstein book and it looks, yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. It's a must own in my collection. Uh, so, and that's going to be pretty cool to, to, to view after, you know, cause we're recently reading the original uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So this will be, this will go right in hand in hand with that, with that prequel. So. Oh, wow. um, that's awesome. So anyway, we, uh, we had a good time. We had a great time. Uh, as long as they keep wanting us back. Uh, and allow us to come back. Uh, we will be back for Monsterama because we—it's uh, one of my favorite shows. It's really a nice kind of uh, sort of after after dinner or after Dragon Con <laughs> sort of experience. You, you just get to hang out, right? Oh yeah, of course. Still. And it was just uh, cool hanging out with Mark Maddox, so it's just awesome. And it's cool hanging out with you, sir. Oh, dude, P- you and Peter were so entertaining this weekend. It was just awesome. <laughs> I didn't even need to watch a movie or anything. I had Mike and Peter. It was great. <laughs> so, um, so thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for everybody who uh, was participating and uh, also volunteering for Monsterama because we had a good time and uh, we hope that they are, like I said, come back in 2020. And if they do, we will be there. So, um, and with that, uh, I'm going to make this little announcement. Uh, that's my last show of the year. <gasps> yep, that is uh, either attending or um, certainly set up or doing any sort of uh, activities in that as at least right now, there's nothing else on my schedule for the next three months. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's my last con of the year. And uh, I just want to say really quickly that uh, for those those uh, convention folks uh, uh, that have uh, reached out to us and, and had us at their show in whatever capacity we've been, uh, it's a great honor. And I had a lot of fun this year. The convention circuit for me was a blast. Uh, there was not one show that I regret doing. Uh, had a had a fun time at all of them. Mike, I know you were at a, a lot of the ones that I went to. And uh, it was a great time. Some of the ones that we went to, won't be, you know, won't be returning in 2020. No, some of them are bidding farewell too, but we're going to be actually at more shows this next year than we have probably in quite some time. Yes. So yeah. We have a lot coming up in 2020 and more are, you know, writing us and contacting us about coming to visit and, you know, either moderate panels or just have tables Either way, you know, we're just happy to be at these cons. You know, we just like meeting everybody at home. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, uh, so, yeah, if there, if you have a convention that you want us to help out and participate in in any way, even if it's just promote, come on the show, please uh, reach out to us. And uh, with that said, uh, there is one more convention that is happening of note this month, and that is October 13th. It is a uh, Sunday, Sunday the 13th. No, um, uh, Sunday the 13th, it is the ACC, Atlanta Comic Convention. Uh, it's a one-day show. Unfortunately, I'll be out of town, so I won't be able to make it. 
So, Mike, you'll have to uh, hold up the Earth Station One fort for me. Oh, hell with that. I'm just going for pop figures. You know? <laughs> so we've got some friends in the station that are going to be there. It is actually significant, and it is their uh, their 100th show. Yeah, congratulations to them. They so, put on a great one-day show, and it's been something I've gone to longer than I've gone to Dragon Con because I found that, <laughs> you know, I found that first. And, you know, it was, oh, one-day cons, I'm used to that. Those are great. I went to those as a kid. And did it little did I know there was this huge dragon, you know, flying over the south of, you know, the, in, over downtown Atlanta. I didn't know it was there. It is. It is a great way to start your, your convention experience. If you've never been to a convention before, come out to Atlanta Comic Con. One day you'll get a feel for the bigger show because it has everything that the bigger shows have. It has like guests. It has dealers. It, you know, it has people in cosplay but on a much smaller, intimate scale. No, exactly. And that's one of the things I forgot to mention when we were talking about Anthony's con. Uh, We met this couple, and it was their first con ever that they had gone to. And they were saying, you know, and I was like, really? You haven't been to any? And they said, no, we had heard about this, and we decided to do an appearance and come there. And they were enjoying themselves a lot, which was cool, because I saw them multiple times. And they were just wow the whole time. So it was pretty cool. So if you ever get a chance to go to a con, folks, it could be, you know, in the, in a, you know, basically a union hall or it could be in a hotel or it could be in convention centers. Try to go. It's just a great time for everybody. And we yeah. want to hear from you talk about it. So Absolutely. Uh, we could be because we love hearing about conventions. We really do. We love talking about them. We love hearing about them. We love going to them. And even though uh, my convention season for 2019 is over, um, that doesn't mean that there's not a pretty significant event that's happening in November that I will be, that I won't be at. It's, it's, uh, I can't, you know, that if you, people who have been listening kind of maybe know what's going to happen, but even Mike and I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's coming in November. So watch this space, listen to this space for more details to come on that. It should be a ton of fun. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. I want to thank our guest for being here, Robert. Great having you back, sir. Oh, it's lovely to be back. It's been so long. I don't want it to be that much longer next time. So that's for sure. Well, the clock is ticking for you, so now, you know, we'll see you in another five years uh, or so. <laughs> let's make it less, please. <laughs> He'll be on the uh, 100th anniversary of uh, Monty Python. Oh, okay. Uh, I may be kind of old by then, but we'll see. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. You know. <laughs> so, but it's cool. Anything you want to talk about or give a shout out to? Um... Nothing I can think of, but uh, not actually, even that you had a had a tenth anniversary with your lovely wife. Well, yesterday. yes, I did have my tenth anniversary with my wife yesterday. Yay. You know, Judy night. would kill me if I didn't say that. You know, or something. Well, you know, my this. This is your this is your bully pulpit, sir. This well, is your well, chair. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Our well, five well, listeners definitely want to. Hear it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the only thing we did was go out to eat. I had to work, but whatever. Okay, but I had good gifts and everything. She takes care of me, so and I have to take care of her too. So you know, 
10 years. I mean, it seems like we've been there married longer than 10 years because we've been together for so long. So it's just, it just fits. So that totally yeah, makes I sense. I must say I, I, I have a difficult, I have difficulty, um, thinking of one of you without the other. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, even, You're always like, great to see, uh, run into at cons yeah. and events. And Literally run into. Literally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry about that time. I stomped over you. It was okay. I was in a uh, Oh, oh. Well, especially when you strapped me to the geek seat, I still have I still have marks on my arms. <laughs> Don't tell Felicity that she just got hey. in there tonight. <laughs> so, and speaking of Felicity, how do you feel? You know, has the arms or torsos gone uh, numb yet? Yeah, I am. I am having some some weird tingling. Uh, well, that's personal. We don't go there. Ida Kane's your friend. No. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the geek seat always stays with you once you're there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you avoided it long enough and, you know, it's yep, like getting it was, it's like getting your first tattoo. Yeah, it was it was it ultimately wasn't as painful as I thought and it was a a pleasure to talk about uh the stuff that I love including Monty Python. That is always awesome to have you on. Anything you want to shout out or promote? Oh, just the Flopcast. You can listen to it every week on the ESO network. And uh, we'll always have some chickens and 80s music and other goofy stuff for you. Oh, exactly. If there's an 80s band out there, Kevin and Felicity will find you. (laughs) Guaranteed, especially if you come to the Northeast. So that is awesome. Well, it's always great having you on. You're, You're stuck in the chair, so it's not so bad. Oh, okay. Right. I, I assume you'll let me out sooner or later. Well, so anyway, you go right on right <laughs> thinking, thinking that. So, Mr. Mike, anything you want to shout out about my friend? <laughs> well, as always, it's my pleasure, sir. And uh, yeah, you know what, Mike? Mike, yes. you know what? What, Mike? It's October. <gasps> oh, my God, it is October. That means yes. spooky, you know scary that skeletons. That means it's the countdown to Halloween has begun. And of course, we will have some uh, Halloween type programming with on this show. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and another, a couple of other fifty year anniversaries are coming up as well. Oh yeah. Uh, but um, but I do want to uh, right away. One thing that uh, we've been doing on the Tiki Zombie Instagram and Facebook page is uh, Peter Cutler has. Uh, we're spotlighting his art over the uh, 31 days. So each day will be something creepy, crawly that uh, Peter has done uh, in the past. And uh, we're going to, we're going to spotlight all those. And uh, it's quite a collection of super creeps. So uh, check in, uh, check out the Tiki zombie, like I said, the Instagram or the Facebook page, and you will be delighted with uh, creepy crawlies all, all month long. That is awesome. My shout out actually is not as creepy because I actually did another movie this last week and we actually went to see yesterday, which was awesome. We had talked about it in the summer movie review and a lot of us were looking forward to it, but a lot of us didn't go see it actually at the movies. So it's out on video now and Judy and I caught it on Saturday and this is for us. It's going to be a must own. It's definitely something that's cute it's pretty harmless but it has a great story has great morals and the gotcha scene at the end is just like breathtaking so i'm not going to spoil it for anybody but i definitely give it you know if we were reviewing it i probably would give it four and a half stars 
So I definitely think if you like the Beatles or if you like a good all around story, please give it a check out. I definitely would recommend it. Speaking of checking out movies, we are going back to the movies again next week. And uh, I am kind of torn on this one. We are going to go see the Joker. It's going to be real interesting because we can't call him the space cowboy. We can't call him the gangster (laughs) of love. No, 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 no. This is going to be a very interesting film. And it's going to be a lot of fun talking about it, hopefully. And we have our crew to talk about it. So, you know, we'll definitely want to hear from you guys also. So please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Definitely would love to hear from you. And as we always like to say, if you enjoy our show, share it with your friends, subscribe, you know, definitely tell people about us. You know, if you enjoy the show, please rate us. Please leave a review wherever fine podcasts are found. We're up there. You could almost find us on any media player. And we're still working on getting us up on, I think, iHeartRadio and Alexa are the last two frontiers we need to catch. So we're going to be up there soon. I promise. Earth Station One has a way to take over the world. So it should be a lot of fun. And at least I didn't say, gee, Brian, what are we going to do tonight? So it should be a lot of fun. So until then, my name is Mike Faber. We will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace. Now get out of here. Go away. Bye. See ya. (laughs) You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.